Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. O2 pitch. What a play here by Tommy. Backhanded, long throw, and he makes the play. So it's a split of the doubleheader. Tommy Edmonds, some nice plays defensively here to finish it off. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Carlos Martinez last night, yesterday. That's really the story of the day. They split the doubleheader. One game, you know, they had Wheaties. We got to talk about that at bat here in a minute. We'll get into that. That was my story of the day. He's still swinging. That was my story. But we got to talk about Carlos Martinez because I don't know what to make of him at this point. It, it looked really good for about two innings. Like really good. He looked amazing. And then the third inning happened. And then the fourth inning happened. And now I don't know what to make of him. And Jamie, here's where I'm at with <laughs> Carlos Martinez and with Daniel Ponce de Leon. You got nine days. You've got nine days to figure out what you're going to do with these guys, because over the next nine days, this is really where the double headers are taking place. And so both of them are going to get their starts. They're going to continue going out there every fifth, sixth day. And we're going to see what they've got to offer for the Cardinals. So you're going to see probably two more starts from both of them over the next week plus. And then the question becomes, is KK able to return? And if KK can come back, then one of them is going to be knocked out of the rotation. And it's possible that both do, but certainly one of them will. So over the next nine days, Jamie, this is the tryout for Daniel Ponce de Leon and Carlos Martinez, because yesterday, my word, inconclusive. I don't think we learned enough about either one of them to feel like either of them can be in the rotation moving forward. Well, I learned a little more about Daniel Ponce de Leon. Okay. I thought he was, I actually thought he was okay. I really wasn't unpleased with, with his performance. Now, was it a Cy Young type performance? No, it wasn't. It certainly was no Adam Wainwright performance. It wasn't a Picasso, right? It weren't talking about work of art. It was not that, but I was okay with it. Uh, it, it just, it did the, the job that it had to do. Carlos Martinez, guys, I know you're going to find this really, really surprising. That guy's a bullpen pitcher. <laughs> He's a bullpen pitcher. He can go two innings solid. The third inning, the the everything's the wheels start to jiggle, and by the fourth inning, the wheels have fallen off. 
So therefore, he's not he's not stretched out enough to, in my opinion, be a starter unless Mike Schilt is going to use him as a starter to where you piggyback with a Daniel Ponce de Leon coming in in the fourth or fifth inning or even the third inning, whatever you want to call it. But right now, Carlos Martinez, I know he he lobbied or put the pressure on the Cardinals to be a starter. I, I'm a starter. I'll wait the extra time. I want to be in the rotation. He gave you two innings. And when you give me two innings, you're a bullpen pitcher. That's all I've got. I'm the flip side of what you are, Ribs. I, I thought that Carlos was as good as he can be for how much time he has missed. The first two innings were the shades of this is what he can be an asset for in the rotation if he gets to this point. The problem was he hit that wall in the third inning and what he made it three and two thirds for the Cardinals when the wheels fell off. And it usually does for Carlos when he gets through that second time through the batting order. That's when things start to fall apart. I agree he's a bullpen pitcher, but I want to see if Carlos can get to that point where he can give you five innings. But that's the thing, Alex, is we've been waiting. We've been waiting. We've been and waiting. We always say the same thing. Boy, he sure has the tools. And, man, if, I'd like to see this turn into a... You know, to go- be fair, we've seen two starts from him this year. And it but was I'm even going COVID. back to last year. Yeah. I'm going back to last year. And last year he ended up in the bullpen. Why? Same thing. He couldn't string together multiple innings of great pitching. But we saw Ponce. We've seen Ponce consistently, and he's just never been able to take that starting rotation role. Okay, well then let's take Ponce out of the equation, okay? Because I really wasn't one or the other for me. To me, <laughs> right. I was like, he was okay. Like yeah. they got the win. It wasn't a Picasso, that's for sure. But let's eliminate Ponce. Once you get everybody back and ready to go. You know, where do you go with the, the, the rotation from there? Right, right now, you've got Flaherty, Wayno, Hudson, hopefully KK, and yep. he comes back. Then where do we go? In the playoffs, I don't think you need anything more than that because that fifth guy is going to be a rotation pitcher. But for the rest of the season, which who knows if KK is going to be back for some portion of the season, I think I'm still going Carlos. But can you piggyback him? Can that be your – that day, your start, we'll call it the Carlos. What about Oviedo? I, I think Oviedo has earned it over okay. any of well, the other guys. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you do what Jamie just said, the piggyback, where you have three innings of Carlos, three innings of Oviedo, and then you get to the seventh, eighth, and ninth pitchers, which Danny Mack was talking earlier, which I agree with, and Andrew Miller, a John Ganton, a Gallegos. That's set up for a fifth rotation spot, which I think is a good thing because you can continue to stretch out Carlos I think we are to go back to my original point I think we need two more starts out of Carlos before we can make any sort of determination and we got this text 65780 is the air comfort service text line this comes from the 702 did you watch the game because Carlos was fine except for the defense there was some of that some of what happened to Carlos yesterday is he just had bad defense behind him for an inning now some of it was also him losing command of his slider he was throwing it too hard and suddenly you got in a bad spot so it's a little bit of both and i'm sure some of it was he's just he's been out for a month now he hasn't thrown a game in a month so i want to see more of carlos we know and i heard mark saxon say this today on Carriker and spallman we know what the back of the baseball card is for carlos martinez in his career and when he has started he's been a quality pitcher he's been an all-star level pitcher more often than not when he has been a starting pitcher for the cardinals now i want to see what it looks like in his next time around and then one more time and if he still looks like that if he looks like a guy that can get you through two really strong innings and it starts to come off the rails in the third well then he's a bullpen arm for you 
But in the meantime, I want to find out. I want to have an open showcase of what does Carlos Martinez look like? What does Oviedo look like? What does Daniel Ponce de Leon? Somebody on the text line also mentions Austin Gomber. I would be in favor of seeing Gomber. I just don't think the Cardinals are all that interested in seeing Gomber. So that's where I'm at with them right now. I still think there's time to showcase both of them to find out what they can give you moving forward. Yeah, I, look, at there is time for sure, but... I'm I just I'm getting tired of the Carlos experiment and what irritates me with it is him calling his shot wanting to be in the starting rotation not going to the bullpen maybe it would have been to his advantage for, during this time to have pitched one or two innings every other game out of the bullpen just to get the arm going again you know maybe there could have been a strategy like that and here was Carlos Martinez's explanation after the game yesterday he was asked about that Jamie why did you decide you wanted to come back as a starter and not a bullpen arm here's what he had to say my decision was uh, because uh, I think uh, they need me on the five starting rotation and uh, I think they don't need me I mean uh, on the bullpen because uh, we got a lot of guys uh, on the bullpen who can throw hard and uh, who can help the team a lot you know so this year um, I give myself uh, another opportunity to be a starting to you know and, and, and keep going with my career and be a starting you know so I feel good I feel great I don't blame him for it yeah but Listen, if that's the case, I would have just told my coaches the whole time, listen, I, I feel like I'm a top two defenseman and I want to play on the first power play. All right. That's where I want to be. Coach would have said, OK, thank you. Go back to the bench type thing. So in this case here, sometimes the coaches, the managers have to be the voice of reason for the player. And I go back to this again is his desire to be a starter. Great. That's the carrot. OK, Carlos, you want to be a starter? Great. You're going to go to the bullpen right now. We're going to use you as many times as we can in the next X number of days to get that arm going, to get you some real at bats to where you're pitching against real players here. And then we're going to work on stretching you out. We're going to work so we get you there because by playoff time, we'd love to have you in the rotation doing your thing. But right now, this is not the way to get him there. In defense of Carlos, I, I agree with him. He he earned the, the rotation spot out of spring training because he was the better pitcher. Now, KK looked good in spring training, but Carlos wanted to be the starter. He looked like a starter. They gave him that starter spot. He lost it due to injury. And that's why I think they're going to this point of saying, okay, Carlos wants the starting spot. Here's your shot. It's the same thing for me, guys, of what Tyler O'Neill's gone through. And Tyler O'Neill's younger. He doesn't have the experience at Carlos. But O'Neill's had a career of injuries. And you don't know if he's a starting left fielder or if he's a bench player or if he's not a piece of this team. I think Carlos is that. Are you the starter that you were three years ago because you've been injured? Or are you a bullpen guy? Or are you an asset to somebody else? I think that's what they're trying to find out with Carlos right now. And now we need to find it out. We need yes. to know the answer to this question. And that's why I'm saying two more weeks. You guys have two weeks to find out whether or not he is a big part of your rotation moving forward. Because if he is, let's go ahead and see it moving forward. If he's not, though then we need to find out what his role is in the bullpen because I do believe that the Cardinals are going to be a playoff team. We now have, what is it, 23 games in the next, like, 20 days. This is, I believe, going to be a playoff team. And when they get to the postseason, their success will be determined based on their pitching because they have a ton of arms. That is one place where I do agree with Carlos. They've got a lot of guys in that bullpen right now that I do trust. I like what they're bringing into the game from the bullpen. I do like at least their top four starters right now. 
So once they get to the playoffs, they've got a shot because of those arms. I want to find out where Carlos Martinez fits into that mix, because say what we will about him as a starter. The guy does have a good arm and he has a role on the Cardinals whenever they do reach those po- that postseason. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We will get into the Cardinals offense and their outfield situation coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But coming up next. One of the all-time great Blues, a great defenseman for the Blues. Chris Pronger is going to join us to give us his perspective on this whole Alex Petrangelo situation. Prongs, next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So we've been breaking down the Alex Petrangelo contract situation in every way possible. And Jamie decided it was time to call in a Hall of Famer. The Hall of Fame defenseman Chris Pronger joining us here on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Prongs, we always appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're hanging in there, buddy. We're hanging in there. Uh, I've been watching uh, your Instagram lately, which, by the way, I'm quite impressed with your Instagram skills. Who taught you that? The kids? <laughs> yeah, you got, you got to go with the people that know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, based on that, uh, look, you uh, you left Florida, the Florida Panthers organization, and now you're focusing on the company. Tell me a little bit about the company. Uh, well, Inspired Travels, we're a boutique luxury travel company that caters to elite athletes, CEOs, C-level executives, and, and business owners. And and how we kind of came to find that niche is really that's when you look at an elite athlete, a CEO, and a business owner, the the will and determination to get to the top, and then the desire and the drive to stay at the top is very, very similar and, uh, you know, that from that mindset, I kind of extracted backwards. And what do I know? It's that. And uh, really, then we started building out uh, the other pieces of the business. And uh, uh, we're excited. You know, obviously, with COVID and everything going on, it's not the ideal time to be uh, ramping up a business. But, uh, you know, this is a, a long-term play for us and, uh, and something that we're very passionate about. We believe in the the healing powers of travel, the restorative nature it, it can have on uh, not only you, but, but your family, loved ones, uh, you know, businesses, et cetera. And, um, you know, we're, we're very uh, firm believers in, in taking something away from your travels and, uh, you know, whatever you've learned, uh, whether it's about culture, culinary, um, you know, health and wellness, whatever the case may be, and implementing that into your everyday life and, and continuing to get better, uh, you know, as you continue to grow and, and move through life and, and are able to kind of see different parts of the world and, and different parts of our country and, and things of that nature. So we're, uh, we're excited about it. Yeah, honestly, I follow you guys, and it looks like amazing stuff. So best of luck on that front. Now, the other side of it is I know you're a hockey lifer. And (laughs) I mean, you are and you're a competitive guy and you've got a lot of great thoughts when it comes to the game of hockey. How are you going to fuel that fire for your hockey, your hockey buzz that you need uh, from time to time? And you know what? I know you left Florida, but is there anything else that you've got your eye on as far as what would drag you back into the game? No, 
no, to, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I obviously got that question a lot when, when it came out that I was uh, not going back to Florida. And, you know, it's just, this is a passion of mine and something that uh, uh, we've wanted to do for a long time. And I've always wanted to, while I have that hockey bug and, and, you know, had that desire and energy to, to do something post-career, I also had a desire to be my own boss and, and build my own business. And, and this has afforded me the opportunity to do that. And, um, you know, it's nice to be able to, you know, I, I'm maniacal in the sense that I'm always thinking, always working and always, uh, you know, looking at the business, looking at our company, looking at what's going on in, in the world. And, um, you know, I'm able to really stay focused on, on what we need to do to, to continue to, service our clients, you know, get, get the right clients uh, for our business, and then ultimately uh, continue to grow and build our business. And um, at, at this particular moment, there's nothing out there that I can see that, that would uh, afford me the opportunity to, to have all of those uh, rolled up into one, other than what I'm doing. Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger joining us here on 101 ESPN. All right, Prongs, you were in a front office. You you have been around hockey your entire adult life. I want to ask you about Alex Petrangelo because he's been the lead story here in St. Louis for a few months now, given the fact that we had that stoppage and then now we are going into the offseason. How rare is it to see a player the caliber of Alex Petrangelo available on the open market, in your opinion? Uh, well, he's not on the open market yet. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> once, once free agency kicks off, then you know I think you'll uh, you will see a lot of teams with a lot of interest. Um, you know, I think you're you're getting him in the prime of his career. I think you look at the way that he plays the game, uh, the type of shape he's in, the type of skater he is. Uh, you know, he's he's got a lot of miles left in his body. Uh, I think when you look at early on in his career, they weren't in the playoffs. So he didn't have those miles, you know, and so you kind of got to factor a lot of different things in, I think, but I, I think first and foremost, you look at his hockey sense, his skating and, and his build and, and the way he plays the game. And, and I don't foresee a drastic drop off in, in his abilities, you know, barring an unforeseen injury. Um, so, you know, I think there will be a lot of interest in him. You know, I think really it's going to boil down to how much money he's asking for and how many teams are willing to pay that or or get close to it. Okay, Prong. So here's here's what I'm dissecting from this. And what I hear the most is it's the term, the term. I think everybody kind of knows where the money's going to fall. I mean, now today's game, everybody's salaries are out there. So it's not much of a surprise to know where you should be financially on that. But the term seems to be what everybody's discussing because he would like an eight year deal, I'm sure, or seven or eight to stay here in St. Louis. And everybody talks about, wow, he's 30 years old. Now it's a downside of his career. And I've got a player pulled up here on my computer by the name of Chris Pronger. And uh, your career did pretty darn good after the age of 30, my friend. So, what do you have to yeah, say? Not to, too bad. Well, yeah, not too bad at all. That's for sure. <laughs> so, what do you have to say to people who automatically just assume, well, he's at thirty, used to be the prime of the career, but now that's kind of getting on the old side. I look back at guys like you, guys like Al McInnes, guys like Nick Lidstrom, guys that had you know fantastic careers. Heck, even Chris Chelios, after the age of thirty-five, still played very yeah. well. 
you know, I think you have to, and, and think about that. Think about all the injuries and all the, the, the way that I played the game prior to turning 30. And then I still played another seven or eight years. So, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, I think you have to look at it on a case by case basis. Look at the player, look at the lifestyle, look at the way he plays the game, look at a number of those factors. And then from there, again, work backwards and say, okay, you know what? Our six really, really good years of Alex Petrangelo worth one or two average or above average years, you know? And when you're looking at a team and you're looking at a window and you're looking at winning, yeah, <laughs> in my opinion, it is. But again, you know, I personally, you know, this is most likely his last contract. If he's offered eight years somewhere else at a big number and seven years here, or pardon me, seven somewhere else and, and seven here versus seven somewhere else and eight here, if he's get, if he gets eight years, he's probably staying here. But I, I, I really don't know. You know, obviously, you know, I, I think he's, you know, fairly – He's obviously entrenched in, in this marketplace and, and in this city, but listen, <laughs> Wayne Gretzky could be traded. You look at all the different <laughs> players have been traded. Hey, I never say never. and never say guys aren't going to leave. It's, it's, you know, maybe he's pissed off and he's like, you know what? You put me in this position. I'm leaving. You know, it, it, it sometimes guys can be spiteful as you know, and, and they're willing to, you know, they're not get they're not feeling the love and they're not feeling, uh, appreciated coming off of a Stanley cup championship. And maybe, maybe he wants a fresh start. Maybe he wants to challenge himself and go somewhere new. I know when I left here and I went to Edmonton and, and then Anaheim and Philly, I mean, that fresh start and that new challenge, you know, it rein, reinvigorates you and it. And, and you want to rise to the occasion and the challenge of, of helping an, a, a new team and, and growing with a new team and new teammates, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know the inner workings of, of what he's thinking about, but that might be a factor in, in what he's uh, going to decide to do. Prongs, after all the moves that you did make uh, in the latter part of your career and, and moving on to teams that wanted you, at any point did you ever wish that you could have just ended your career in St. Louis where you met your wife and your family's kind of got their roots planted here? And at any point, was there a time where you were hoping that at some someday you could return and retire as a St. Louis Blue? Um, you know what? I think it. You know, when the time's up, the time's up. When it's, you know, I'm not much for looking back and saying, "Oh, I coulda, shoulda, woulda." Uh, you know, looking at all the things that were going on with this organization, with uh, the little discord that. <laughs> that I had with the front office, <laughs> you know what? I think it, the time, the timing, it was time to move on and 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 uh, go elsewhere. It it really, you know, it had gotten to a a breaking point for me that I couldn't deal with it anymore, and I was getting a little fed up, and it was time to move on. And you know, I think had I not gone to Edmonton and then uh, you know help take that team to the cup finals and then gone to Anaheim and helped win a Stanley cup and gone to Philly and help get to a Stanley cup final. And, you know, help teach some of the younger kids, you know, about leadership and about pre- preparation and being a professional, et cetera. Like the, like the older guys did for me when I was younger, you know, I think when you, you look at 
I don't know if that would have happened if I stayed here in St. Louis. You know, just based on some of the acrimony and some of every, you know, the things that were going on. And, and you know, uh, the, the, the way I guess maybe some of the media looked at me, maybe some of uh, uh, the, the management looked at me. And, and, you know, I think sometimes when you're somewhere and you're married to a girl from St. Louis, they take you for granted and think you're never willing to leave. You know, much like right now, I think, with Petrangelo. You know, they're looking at him, he's married to a girl from the town, he's got four kids, he's got this, he's that. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we're all athletes and we're all competitive and we all want to play at a high level, but we also want to be respected. And, uh, you know, if you're not feeling that, then, you know, you're willing to leave. You know, you're, or, and sometimes you want to leave because you want to you challenge yourself and you want to, you know, step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, that was never quite the problem for me. Uh, I was married to a St. Louis girl, and they seemed to trade me an awful lot for hungs. <laughs> hey, I got a quick question for you. Do you remember the road trip in Buffalo? We were both young. I think you had just came to St. Louis. It was a preseason game, I believe, and we got to the room, and we both looked at each other. There was only one bed. Do you remember that trip? Sorry, kid. <laughs> Rookie sleep on the floor. <laughs> we immediately made a pact. We're like, okay, you stay on your side. I stay on my side. <laughs> I love telling that story because I had known Chris before, and we had done some th- uh, things before and had some fun and knew each other. But we get into the hotel room for this game, and you look, and there's just one bed. It's like, those aren't pillows. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Oh, man. Oh, those were the days, Jamie. <laughs> yes, they were, Christopher. You would never, you would never, ever think of that happening in today's day and age. It'd be all over Instagram and Twitter. Oh, my God, look at what I got in my room. <laughs> That's a good point. Although you'd have to have your kids posted for you. True. true. <laughs> Prongs, we appreciate the time today, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we wish you and the family all the best in this new venture that you're going with. And uh, hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for the time today. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You got Thanks. it. That's Chris Pronger, the Hall of Famer, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jamie, just kind of going up and down his hockey reference page real quick. A plus 52. Like, I know plus minus is not your favorite statistic, and it's not the end-all be-all. But in the 99-2000 season, Chris Pronger was a plus 52 mm-hmm. when he was on the ice, which means for those not initiated into the hockey vernacular, when he was on the ice, the Blues scored 52 more goals than their opponents did for that season. 52 more goals. He played in 79 games. Well, if you look at the funny thing is you go over farther into the ice time, his average total on ice was 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 27, 29, 27, 27. Like just ridiculous at the age of 35 years old. It's at 27 minutes of average ice time. It's crazy. I have a feeling that we might be something, seeing something similar from another defenseman uh, moving forward. That's why That's why I thought it was a great opportunity to have somebody like Chris on and, and kind of discuss this stuff. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. I want to react to a couple of things that Chris Pronger said in particular, including what he said about when you have a wife from St. Louis and you have kids in St. Louis, sometimes people take that for granted that you're going to stay in St. Louis. There was a report yesterday that might indicate that that's exactly what's happening here. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. 
We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You know, I think sometimes when you're somewhere and you're married to a girl from St. Louis, they take you for granted and think you're never willing to leave. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we're all athletes and we're all competitive and we all want to play at a high level, but we also want to be respected. And So that was Chris Pronger moments ago here on the show. If you missed the interview, 101ESPN.com is the place where you can find it after we're done here. I pair that with a report that I saw yesterday. Jamie from Jeremy Rutherford and it makes me a little concerned I gotta be honest about what's taking place right now with Alex Petrangelo here was the latest from Jeremy Rutherford in his report on The Athletic quote one source says that the Blues were offering a five-year deal that was closer to $7 million than $8 million. The belief is that Petro was not happy with any of the offers that he has received thus far, and he's also very disappointed in the way that things have been handled. Last month, JR reported that Petro was asking for less than what Nashville played. Nashville paid Roman Yossi, that $9 million AAV, but the Blues hadn't gone to more than $8 million. The feeling is that the captain would settle somewhere in the middle, so between eight and nine jr continued multiple sources say that if petro's wife was not from st louis where the couple has started a family he might have already told the blues that he is moving on end quote that's the money quote right there and it goes back to what we just heard from chris pronger i do wonder and this is just me thinking aloud this is not this is 100 percent speculation on my part I do wonder if there is some taking for granted of the fact that he will sign here because his family is here, because he wants to start that legacy that we have talked so much about or not start, continue that legacy that we have talked so much about, that he wants to have a statue outside, that he wants to have his number in the rafters, all of these different things. I do wonder if there is some taking for granted of all of those things. And we are not not we. The front office is not fully invested in 100% making him whole and giving him the salary and the term that he feels like he deserves on the open market. Well, look, anything when when it comes down to negotiations, specifically for these high-dollar, long-term deals, you're looking for leverage on both sides of the equation. And if, if if the organization, if Team X whatever this case just happens to be the St. Louis Blues. If the organization sees that his wife and kids and everybody is settled in that town that they play in currently, if they see that as a little bit of leverage, well, yeah, you're going to use it. I mean, this is where people get confused sometimes with the business side of pro sports is it doesn't necessarily have to be emotional. And what I mean by that is just because the St. Louis Blues, if all of this is true, if they view the fact that he has a wife that's from here and that if they view that as leverage, it's just business. It's not them trying to pick on Alex Petrangelo because his family's here and it's like this emotional thing. It's not. They're just they're going to play on the heartstrings a little bit. And in return, Petro has to kind of with his representatives go back and say, listen, we're already packing the house, basically. So if you think it's that's the end all be all for us here, it isn't because there's a lot of places where they have great schools. They have great houses. They have great communities. They got great. Those are everywhere. So it's just both sides that are establishing who's got leverage in what area. Um, you know, I, I think that per the source, um, which is always tricky in these situations. Yeah, but I, I trust JR reporting implicitly. So. I, I trust his. Trust me, I I trust him what he's saying, but it's still tricky because even though the source 
said it 100% to Jeremy Rutherford, did the source hear that 100% from somewhere else? Because we know Doug Armstrong is certainly, he, he holds his cards close to his vest, and you know, Alex Petrangelo is a very quiet guy too. So I, I, listen, these things here are going to heat up, and you're going to see a lot of stuff like this start to come to the top, and you're going to have to figure out quickly you know, what is worth listening to, what isn't worth listening to. I do know this, that when these things start to happen, the team and the player have to communicate immediately. They have to communicate immediately to put it to bed. And if all of it is true, then, hey, we got it. Well, maybe we're doing this wrong. But, yeah, it's there's some concern now because I feel at this point, based on everything we're kind of gathering, I feel like lines are being drawn in the sand on both sides. And I never like that. I, I don't like to have the line in the sand ever until the very, very end of the negotiation. And this one here seems a little premature to be doing that. I do also feel like, though, and I've never been in these circumstances. You have, Jamie. But I feel like this is what we usually see in conversations when it comes to contract extensions for players. And we've seen it in sports where it starts out this way. And I don't know if they've ever started out nasty. And we don't know that this is nasty. It's just the reports right now. But they start off where it's like, look, we're not going past this. Okay, we're not going past this. But when you get closer to that top of the hour where, hey, free agencies tomorrow, we need to get this done that's when one side's going to say, okay, we need to lean this way because we need this. You know, I asked Joey this last night because with the draft being pushed back, now the free agency date is exactly set on October 9th. And I said, does that make Doug Armstrong's job harder? Because he has to do this before October 9th. And and Joey said from looking at it, and maybe I've been looking at it the wrong way, I think it makes the job easier for him because now he has this time to actually try and have the conversation and set some ground. And then when you get to free agency, you either say, okay, we need to get this done now. We know what the groundwork looks like. Or we say, look, go test free agency. But before you go somewhere, come back to us and we'll see if we can do something. With I wouldn't it. want to let him get there. If I'm Doug Armstrong, I, either. I have no interest in getting to the date of him actually hitting the market and being able to shop himself around and saying, who is the highest bidder right now? What would it look like for me to be in that uniform? Don't let his mind wander like that, because once he gets into the mindset of, OK, maybe it is gr- the grass is greener on the other side. That becomes more difficult to convince him to stay than it is currently, in my opinion. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get come back from that. And we've seen it several times before where guys get to that point even not even to free agency but they get to a day or two before it and they've already made up their mind now because it's taken so long like if we couldn't have figured this out leading up to this then there's no point in trying to figure it out and to your point ferrario on negotiations a lot of the time goes goes this way that is true for a lot of players i didn't expect it to be true for this player i agree i didn't think it was going to be true for your captain the first captain of the stanley uh, of the st louis blues to ever hoist the stanley cup trophy over his head I didn't think it was going to have to get like this for this particular player. I thought every the other thing that's weird about all of this is it's not hard to look on cap friendly or spot rack and see what it's going to need to be. Everybody can do it. We've done it in this room. Listeners have done it. We all know what the contract needs to be. I was on um, The Athletic earlier today, and they ranked the top 20 free agents for this hockey offseason. Guess who number one was? Once again, it's Alex Petrangelo. And their projected contract for him was $8.6 million over seven years. We all know what it's going to take. It's going to be around that eight and a half million dollars, and it's going to take seven to eight years. This is what it's been from day one. And so that's why I'm concerned about some of these reports that are now coming out this 
while early, late in the process, after you've had the last year of talking about it in the open, I don't love the way that this is headed right now. I still think that there is definitely a chance, maybe even a more likely than not chance of them being able to re-sign the captain. But seeing stuff like this does get me a little discouraged compared to where I was whenever the blue season came to an abrupt end. Yep, and this is just further evidence that the salary cap being flat in this awful pandemic situation can really affect the team. Because if it was at 84 or $85 million like it was projected to be, they'd already have the space right now, and this deal would probably be done. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Mike Claiborne has been a Cardinals broadcaster for as long as I can remember, and he was good friends with the late Lou Brock. We're going to ask Claibs about his lasting memories of Lou Brock and what it was like like to be around just one of the most genuinely great human beings that we've come across. Mike Claiborne. Clay's going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We spent a vast majority of yesterday's show remembering the late, great Lou Brock. We continue to do so today with Mike Claiborne, Cardinals broadcaster. You can find his work online as well at ClaibsOnline.com. Claibs, we sincerely appreciate the time today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Great to be on with you guys. Uh, Rivers, it's been a while since I've seen you, man. You're doing a great job in the radio business. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been a long time we haven't seen each other. Hope you're doing well, my friend. Well, I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. You know, COVID is, is the ultimate game changer, but uh, we'll, we'll manage. So we got the news the other day, Klaibs, that we lost – Lou Brock here in St. Louis, and he meant so much to so many people in this community. And I think the, the the coolest thing for me, seeing some of the stories that have been shared over the last couple of days is, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had more than 3000 hits in his major league career, more than 900 steals in his major league career. And most of the statements that we've seen are more about Lou Brock, the man than Lou Brock, the player. And that is not to put down anything that he accomplished in his career. It is instead to lift up what he was as a human being. Uh, what are you going to remember? Lou Brock for? Uh, I, I think his kindness would certainly be at the top of the list. Uh, I, I never saw Lou Brock have a bad day. Um, he was always a, a gentleman in every environment, uh, but he was tough, man. I mean, the guy played forever, uh, stolen base champion in the National League, 3,000 hits, as you mentioned, never spent a day on the disabled list and played in 64 the last, I think, three or four weeks of the season with a broken shoulder blade. He got hit by a pitch from Koufax. And, yeah, I just think kindness and toughness. And in between, there's a lot of great things that you can use to, to describe him. But that that would probably be at the top of my list. Now, Klaibs, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, just how important – the, the guys who come before you when they pave the way for your organization. And I, I reference with the Blues, you know, the Bobby Plaggers and certainly the Brett Hulls and Al McKinnis, those guys who have set the standard over the years. And you look at the Cardinals, you'd be crazy not to say that Lou Brock was part of the group that created the Cardinals culture that even today Adam Wainwright continues based on a conversation that he had with Lou Brock. Just how important is it that Lou Brock, in as a Cardinal, was one of the guys who created this Cardinal way that everyone talks about. 
You know what, Jamie, that's a great point. And I think it, it may have started with him. And obviously there were some guys around at the same time, but I, I think Lou went out of his way to, to make sure guys understood, you know, how things work when you're part of a winning team and a winning organization. You know, he was a base running instructor in the early 80s. And I, I'll never forget Willie McGee saying in his first Cardinal spring training, Lou came out with a tape measure and a clipboard and a stopwatch and, you know, was trying to give him the scientific approach on how to steal bases. But every spring training, it wasn't complete until Lou showed up. And, you know, he wouldn't he would never be overbearing. And, and Jamie, you've been around enough professional athletes where the great ones don't come up to you and say, hey, kid, you got to do this, this and that. He came up and would have a casual conversation, maybe ask a couple of questions. And, and whatever problem you were having, the questions he would ask, you would give the answer, and all of a sudden you were giving the answers to your problems. So he, he was that sort of guy where he was mild-mannered enough. But I, I think you touch on something that's very important here. Uh, as we know the Cardinal way on the field, I think Lou, Lou Brock exemplified what the Cardinal way and helping people uh, was like off the field. You mentioned how he was always down at spring training, and that was the case for a lot, and it still is, remains the case for a lot of former Cardinals, and that is a big part of that Cardinal way that you're talking about. We were able to catch up with John Mosellock yesterday, and he said a big part of their secret sauce, if you will, was having guys like Willie McGee and like Lou Brock and Stan and Red and all of them coming down to spring training and hanging out with their current players. You were able to be around a lot of those experiences. What was it like for you watching? from a distance or from up close to see those guys interacting with the current players? Well, I want to tell you a quick story here about what, what it meant to me. And, and Bob Gibson, who's as good of a friend as I have in the business, it was one of my first spring trainings. And he said, hey, come on, we're going to go to a session. So I'm like, what does this mean? So I'm in a clubhouse. <clears throat> Everybody's on the field. And it's Gibson, it's Brock, it's Musial, it's Shane Deeds, it's Jack Buck. And there was somebody else in the room. And these guys are sitting at the table just shooting the breeze, talking about the game and this and that. And I'm sitting in the corner, never said a word, okay? I mean, I might as well have been a rising bag in the room because I didn't say anything, but I took it all in. And then you were saying to yourself, look at this. And because they all knew me as this young guy who was, you know, trying to make a career out of this, they, they trusted me. And they, they would do it every year. And one year, LaRusso walked through, and he stopped, and he knew he needed to go out on the field. But later that day, he said, hey, how was that session today? I said, oh, man. He said, I said, this was the one day you would have traded places with anybody but to be in that room. But, you know, that's what they were all about, tradition and talking the game and making sure that they didn't force their will on anybody, but they just wanted to make sure that their will was something you had an option to absorb. It's an incredible story, Klaibs, and we appreciate you joining us here today to share it with us. It just an unbelievable human being Lou Brock is and was, and uh, we will sincerely miss him here in St. Louis. Always appreciate the time, Klaibs. Thanks so much for joining uh, us today and remembering the incredible life and career of Lou Brock with us. Thanks so much. Hey, and you guys keep up the great work, and hopefully we'll do it again down the road on a more on a better note. How about that? Absolutely. You got it. Thanks so much, Klaibs. Appreciate you. That is Mike Claiborne joining us here on 101 ESPN. He said something there that I actually don't know that I that I knew. Um, he never spent a day on the disabled list. That's incredible. Think about that. 
Like we just we just assume that guys are going to end up on the disabled list at some point over a season, much less a career to have the career that Lou Brock did to play the amount of games that he played to never go on the disabled list is just ridiculous. And he said in that uh, World Series 64, he had a bad shoulder the whole time and played through it. And that, if I'm not mistaken, the 64 one was the one where he had seven stolen bases. Yeah. So he got seven stolen bases with a bad shoulder and you're playing every one of those games. I mean, it, it's, it's legendary. 19 years, 2,600 regular season games and never went on the disabled list. It's amazing. Tough and kind. I feel like those are the two words that I've heard a hell of a lot over the last couple of days uh, when talking about the late Lou Brock. So appreciate Claves for joining us here today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got any questions, we'll get to some of those with questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. And I've got a question to kick things off today because I got on Twitter this morning. As you know, Jamie, we do. We get up, check, see if there's anything that we missed overnight. And I see an announcement from one of our dear friends, a co-host of ours, one Alex Ferrario. Oh, yes. Goes on Twitter this morning. And announces something that is absolutely incredible. If you don't mind, my friend, would you like to share with the audience your unbelievable, great, fantastic life news? I'm becoming an NHL superstar defenseman. <laughs> okay, the other oh, okay, great, sorry. fantastic news. Uh, baby Ferrario is on its way. March of 2021. Yeah! Oh, yeah. yeah! That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations, Ferrario man. clan is, is growing, and I'm going to have my own circus with some power rankings sooner or later. I oh. love it, buddy. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you very so much. So how far along? So she's 14 weeks along, um, and not to get all sappy here, so she had a miscarriage five months ago, and uh, of course, that was a tough time. 2020 itself has just not been fun for everyone, so we wanted to make sure we got kind of over that first trimester threshold before we made the official announcement because didn't want to go through that again, and so we hit 14 weeks. We had our doctor's appointment last weekend, and she was excited, and so she was like, let's make the announcement. So it's been an outpouring of love too from fans on Twitter, uh, co-workers and friends and family on, on social media and of course social media is where you put it all so uh, it, it's been exciting so thank you guys so much. It, it's going to be a fun ride now on the radio to take this up to March of next year and talk about all of the the the, uh, the, the checkpoints that you have. March, interesting. You know there's somebody else that's born in March. Who's that? Me. Is that the superstar Jamie Rivers yeah. himself? What's superstar. the date? March 16th. Uh-huh. Okay. The day before St. Patrick's Day. I was pitching double headers right away. <laughs> going back to back starts. You came out with just shots of bourbon in each hand. Irish whiskey in one hand and, well, no mix in the other. I feel like you might have been doing the Irish car bombs. Yeah. They're right, just straight out of the womb. Guys, all of the above. He came out, Papa Rivers just dropped that, uh, that, that, that shot right into the beer and just told him to chug it. Right into my baby bottle. <laughs> yeah. Take it down. Yeah, ours is March 9th, and I told my wife, I said, oh, that's perfect. I said, the baby will come, and then playoffs will start, and I'll never be home 
Oh, she yeah, wasn't happy about that. Think about that part. Yeah, she no. wasn't happy. Well, about hopefully that. they'll put it off a little bit for next year. Maybe yeah. we go into the summer again. Yeah, we might only be halfway through the season That's in March. True. It'd be great. That's true. Come June, we might be still playing the regular season. Well, in all seriousness, man, we we've certainly talked with you about this yeah. off air, and we couldn't be more thrilled for you. Yeah. I mean, I I know how much this means to both you and your wife, and we we are super thrilled for the. Yeah. First of all, the content for the show is going to be incredible. But in in all seriousness, the, yeah. having a child is going to be incredible. And I know, Jamie, you you have plenty of your own at the circus. <laughs> and I, I couldn't be more happy for you. Next year is going to be yep. quite the year for this show. There's yes. going to be some incredible stories from now until March of next year. Between now and then, I'm going to be the quiet one. Yeah. <laughs> ribs and, and BK imagine and I are, that. My BK goodness. BK and I is going to be a complaint after complaint about My something. My goodness. I mean, Ferrario's, Dr. Phil in here. Ferrario's already got the uh, the wife and the house down. I'm trying to knock those things down next year, and Ferrario's going to be able to uh, what I be once again with the child. So <laughs> All those benchmarks. We can't wait for it, man. That's, that's going to be incredible. It's going to be fun. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. There is no easy transition here. So here we go. You guys <laughs> see what Leonard Fournette said yesterday? Yes. Speaking of babies. That guy does nothing but spit uh, truth. Just spits truth. I'll give you the benefit that was a good of the doubt one. on that one. It was, a, it was a try, at least. It was a try. It was an so effort. Leonard Fournette <laughs> basically came out yesterday. And said, for the first time in my career, I'm playing with a real quarterback. What'd you make of it, Jamie? Are you buying into the Leonard Fournette hype that we're seeing with the Buccaneers? You know what? Maybe not his hype, but I th- I'm buying into him being hyped. I really am, because it, when you come from a situation that maybe isn't the best situation for you, no, no matter who you had around you or what he actually did with his own performance, you put him into an offense now run by... Arguably the greatest quarterback of all time in the NFL. And now you've got some other great pieces in the wide receiver. You got a big Rob Gronkowski that's out there to help you. All of a sudden, Leonard Fournette's probably really, really motivated. And he doesn't have to be the only thing that's targeted out there. I think Tom Brady's probably wrapped his arm around him. Probably said, Hey, listen, buddy, we got you here. You know, you went fourth overall. There was a reason for that. Let's get you back to that Leonard Fournette. And he's probably right now, he's on cloud nine being in Tampa. I think Leonard better watch his back. Gardner Minshew's going to have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thor's, in, Thor's not going to be happy with that comment. Minshew magic. Now, yeah. BK, you need to address the filth that Jamie Rivers and I found out about you last night. I believe someone has been spewing just filth about Leonard Fournette on the airwaves. Oh, that's right. But then they go into a fantasy football draft <laughs> yes. and say, oh, Looks like this guy's going to be my guy. So I uh, yeah, yeah. break. Come on, break it down. <laughs> I made a I made an oopsie last night. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so I host a podcast for Rock M Nation, uh, Mizzou podcast. And I had unbeknownst to me a auction draft that started at seven o'clock last night. Those are the best. So auction drafts, if you haven't done one before, last like two to three hours. Like they can take a really long time. I have my podcast that I record around eight on Tuesday nights. So I got about an hour into this auction draft and I was like, all right, I kind of like the start of my team. At that point, I had like Clyde Edwards, Alaire, uh, David Johnson, a couple other players, right? I still needed to round out a vast majority of my roster. (laughs) 
So I start the podcast and I've like got this auction draft going next to me. So I'm trying to multitask. Let's be honest. You're never doing well at multitasking while hosting a podcast. It's impossible. So I end up doing the podcast. And by the time that I've finished, like I am out of players that I'm interested in. So, yeah, I bid on Leonard Fournette and he's on my fantasy team this year. See, that's not the way I uh, that's not what I heard last oh, night. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm if I'm to be so bold as to go back in the text chain that we have, please created, do. Uh, which I will. Uh, <laughs> goes back here with exclamation points, too. I just drafted yeah. Leonard Fournette. I don't think that's how Didn't I said it. Didn't it say fantasy football yeah. champ at the end of it? Fantasy league tonight. And, and oh, and at the end, he goes, now I feel dirty. And good. Yeah. There will be so many. The first time Leonard Fournette goes off in a game and helps him with the points, BK will be like, this guy's wonderful. Oh, Just I'm wait. All in. It's coming for <laughs> sure. Bully. If he scores like two touchdowns in week one, I'm riding that baby all the way to the end of the season. You know Ooh. what, though? Maybe BK had a strategy here. Okay, because we know he's the king That's of awful true. takes, right? That is great. And he's had some really bad takes in the last month to two months. Means a lot Maybe coming three. from you, Jamie. That's I appreciate a, it. That's a great point, Rose. And so he had some awful takes on Leonard Fournette the other day. Basically hates him, hates the running back position, hates all running backs. He did and say he, that. And now he's trying to play the game, the BK game. He's trying to actually right now, he's trying to manipulate the market by talking trash about him, knowing full well that Fournette's going to have a good season and just sneaks in and drafts him. Yeah, you put that out there in the universe just so you can draft him. Yeah, now he's going to win running back of the year. Filthy, I don't okay. know that there's a award for running back of the year. I just made I think it. you made that one up. I did. If there this was an award, one. it certainly wouldn't go to him because he's not very good at football. Oh, here we go. He's, he's doubling down. It. He's trying it. Yep. Whatever he that? can. That one work? That one go okay? No. We're on to you. 13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get some of your texts coming up here in a little while. Coming up next, though, Danny Mac's going to join us. What did he make of what he saw from Carlos Martinez yesterday, and what is his opportunity here to remain in the rotation moving forward? We'll ask Danny Mack when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Danny Mack. He's host of Scoops with Danny Mack weekdays from 10 to, 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Of course, Cardinals broadcaster. And this week, hosting Carriker and Smallman as well. So if you didn't have enough Danny Mack in your life before, you're starting to get there now. Can never have enough, BK. Dan, how you doing today, man? I've had enough. (laughs) Dan, let's start with uh, what we saw yesterday from Carlos Martinez. What did you make of his start, and what do you think it means for his chances of starting moving forward, if anything? Well, I I thought velocity was good. I thought his first inning was really sharp. Um, It's good to see him back, and I think moving forward with the doubleheaders, uh, they're going to need him. You know, they're going to need him to to provide some innings. I mean, the Cardinals have 23 games left. BK, I think, in in what 19 days mm-hmm. left in the season, and there's no off days, so they need him. Um, this was the idea to get him back in the rotation and get him back throwing. So I was encouraged by that, and to an extent, I was encouraged with Daniel Ponce de Leon. So I did like his stuff, especially early on. I thought 
if there was a couple of plays made behind him in talking about Carlos Martinez, in particular on a really hard-hit ball up the middle, if the young comes up with that and is able to turn two, you don't see Donaldson come up, and then you don't see the three-run homer. Maybe it's a different game, but overall, first start back in over a month, um, pleasantly, not pleasantly surprised, but pleasantly pleased. Dan, after next Friday, there's only one more doubleheader the rest of the season. So I said earlier today, I think the Cardinals have basically nine days here where they're going to probably have to determine who is that fifth starter spot, whether it's Carlos or Ponce or Oviedo, assuming that they get KK back. Do you think that is fair, that by next Friday or so, they'll probably have to make a decision on that because the, the doubleheaders kind of come to an end after that? Yeah, I do. And then at that point, you, you've got a lot of pitchers and some, some tough decisions to make. Um, I was encouraged, too, in seeing KK being at least in the outfield and able to throw. And if he's available, he goes right back in your rotation, not knowing you know, the health status at that point and, and being able to get him extended a little bit. And you're going to need some arms that I think guys will be stretched out fully for a game, but then they're beat up coming off the double hitters, uh, double headers. So you're going to need some guys to give you some innings out there. The Cardinals pitching has just been ridiculous overall. The bullpen has been really good, but coming out of this gauntlet of, of the, the schedule, you're going to need some arms. You're going to need guys that give you multiple innings coming out of the pen. So even if you're not in the rotation, as long as you're able to give you, let's say two innings and maybe some guys give you three, which could be one of those starters that's not in the rotation. It's very important to have those guys. So the aforementioned pitchers that you mentioned will play, a, I would think, a pretty vital role coming up. Danny, you talk about KK yesterday playing catch in the outfield, and I saw that too, and it made me feel better about the situation. But Yeah, for sure. What do we know as of right now with KK? How far do you think he is out from getting back onto the field for to actually get a start? And then once he comes back... How do you see the the rotation ending up? Because I'm looking at Flaherty, Wayno, Hudson, and then the KK, when he comes back, I'm putting him right back there. Then we got Carlos, we've got Ponce, and then we've got Oviedo. I'm just wondering where you see all that going. I'll answer the second one first. I think Ponce and Oviedo would be on the outside looking in because I don't think you would have spent this much time building up Carlos Martinez to go you know, come back and then go back into the bullpen. I, I think he's in the rotation, and I definitely think KK goes back in the rotation once he comes back. And then the first part of the question is time will tell. You know, it's it's a a fluid situation. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you just got to monitor his body and how he reacts to what the treatment is like. And uh, like you, I was, I was really happy to see that he was back in uniform and, and back and able to play catch. And um, I didn't anticipate seeing that. So uh, I'm hopeful to see him sooner rather than later. And I'm also, you know, hoping that at some point the Cardinals would see Dexter Fowler before the season is through because they, they've got to get some kind of outfield production from somebody out there, whether it's O'Neill or Bader or Lane Thomas or Dylan Carlson at some point. You know, Tommy Edmond is now in the outfield and he's been fine. Uh, but to your original point of those guys, I, I think it would be Ponce in, in the bullpen. I think Oviedo would be in the bullpen once as BK 
DK says uh, it gets back to kind of some of the, the normalcy of that final stretch run of the schedule. We're talking with Danny Mac, host of Scoops with Danny Mac weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Dan, I wanted to ask you in terms of, in your opinion, what is the best Cardinals lineup right now? Like if you were to look at, because I think we all know catcher first, second and short, that's all set. But third base plus the outfield and DH, in your opinion, what is the best configuration for those basically five spots in the lineup right now? It, it all depends on who's hitting. And I think it's day by day, to be honest with you, BK. And it's not trying to sidestep your question because it's it's all who's hitting. It's riding the hot hand. And if Carpenter's hitting, then Carpenter's your best option at third. Um, it, but that is all fluid when Brad Miller's hitting and he's your DH. And if one of the outfielders is, is hitting, then he's your best option in left and right. You know what I mean? It, yep. It's, you know, game one last night or yesterday, I think the guys went one for a combined eight. So that's not a good lineup. Um, that's not production. It's just who is riding a hot hand. And I think that's the way that Mike Schilt has to play it because you, you have two and a half weeks left of a regular season. So if you're asking me that question, you know, early in a season or a couple of months in, I could give you a better answer because we've got a long ways to go and, and you could let guys have a rut and get out of a rut. And, you know, the numbers are what they are by the end of a season. But right now I really think you you use the eye test a lot more than maybe you would in a normal season. And even if a guy goes over three, you say, I like those at bats. Uh, I'll look at the numbers. I'm going to look at maybe what the pitcher, the opposing pitcher is doing. And I take into account the at bats I'm watching from my guy. And that's my guy. I'm going with him in left. I'm going this guy in center. This guy's my guy in right. Um, and, you know, or he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, four for his last 10. So that's the hot hand at this point. I, I just think that's how you have to approach it. And you take the hot hand with that crew of Carpenter, O'Neill, Bader, Thomas, and you kind of shuffle them. And, and that's the lineup you go with. Now, you're going to see a lot of those guys because of the double headers that we mentioned. And you can't just all of a sudden say, well, we're going to play this set lineup every game because you can't, you know, mm -hmm. tomorrow is going to be two different lineups because of double headers. And we always focus on the pitching with double headers and coming off of 17 days and guys not being built up and still with position players, you have to be careful. And with no off days coming up outside of this one, you got to be careful not to run those guys into the ground because if you expect to have success in postseason play, you've got a month long of the season still after the regular season is through. So you, you got to be careful with that as you look forward. Last question that I've got for you, Dan. I'm looking at the Cardinals right now, and Tyler O'Neill has 93 at bats on the season. Harrison Bader has 58 at bats on the season. Lane Thomas has just 23 at bats on the season. We knew coming in, one of the main priorities for the Cardinals was finding out what they have in these young outfielders so that way next year they can make some decisions do you think they're going to be able to make those decisions with the number of at-bats these guys are going to be able to get this year man that's a great question uh that's a really tough one to answer um i would imagine internally they have a, a pretty good idea of what they've got i mean you've seen them in spring training and i know it's just spring training you've seen them in a summer camp and that summer camp which isn't fair to them but I would think they've got a pretty good idea with the advanced metrics of what you can see and exit velocity and barreling of balls and that kind of thing. Um, and it's not really fair to them, but 
as a franchise, I don't know if you feel comfortable going into next season with that group. I, I, just, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can feel comfortable with that. You know in a given what you have for the most part in Dexter Fowler, um, and you know that you can play Tommy Edmond in the outfield. You know that Dylan Carlson is there to fall back on, and I think he will be just fine. Um, he's going to have to make some adjustments off of off-speed pitches. 100 at-bats is, is really tough to just judge on and say, well, we give up on this guy. But you, you, I, at least in my opinion, I'd like to have more of a given going into next season. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I think that that's something they have to look into. And I, I think all I speak for all of us when I say we vehemently agree with that yeah. assessment of what they have right now. Yeah, Dan, we appreciate the time, man. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning, and we'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys, look forward to the crossover tomorrow. Absolutely, you got it. That's Dan McLaughlin joining us here on 101 ESPN, host of Scoops with Danny Mac weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock. I just put down what I think is going to be the Cardinals pitching staff for the postseason, boys. Man, if this team makes a little bit of a run, this listen to this pitching staff real quick. Flaherty, Wayno, Hudson, and KK as your starters going into the playoffs in a seven-game series. You've got as like one-inning high-leverage situations – Cabrera, Gallegos, Gant, Helsley, and Reyes as options. And then if you need a long reliever at any point in time, you've got Oviedo, Gomber, Ponce, and Carlos. I mean, that pitching staff, you line that up against almost anybody in baseball, and you feel like you've got an advantage going that series now the question then becomes what is the offense <laughs> and that's what i want to talk about with you guys next what is this cardinals offense right now and what do we need to see in order for matt carpenter to become expendable in terms of not being in the lineup regularly we'll talk about that coming up on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn I would think they've got a pretty good idea with the advanced metrics of what you can see and exit velocity and barreling of balls and that kind of thing. And it's not really fair to them, but as a franchise, I don't know if you feel comfortable going into next season with that group. Alongside former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. <laughs> so that was Danny Mac moments ago here on 101 ESPN talking about the Cardinals outfielders. And I think this is the question, the singular question that the Cardinals need to answer the rest of the season, because it was the question that they had to answer coming into the season. They wanted to know what do we have in Tyler O'Neill in Dylan Carlson, but more specifically Harrison Bader and Lane Thomas, those three Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas. What do we have in those three? Let's find out. So that way we go into next season, having some certainty in what we have in our outfield And Jamie, I asked the question to Dan and I think it's a really important one. Do they have enough at bats to be able to find out what they have in those three? Cause Tyler O'Neill has 93 at bats so far this year, Harrison Bader, because of some of the injury issues, the COVID issues and the headaches has only 58 at bats. And then Lane Thomas has played 12 games and has just 23 at bats. I don't know if they had a moment of honesty, if the Cardinals are going to be able to have enough at bats this year to really make a determination of whether or not they know what they have in those guys. I don't think that they're going to, it's going to be hard. And look, I think that that's been, you know, everybody's gripe so to say, the the Cardinals fan base, media, radio, us guys here, we're always talking about, well, it always feels like they say we need more time. We need to evaluate more with these players. And we really thought that 
this year, even though it's a shortened season, 60 games, and then now, of course, with all the pandemic uh, or the COVID, rather, that the Cardinals had to go through, it's changed a little bit. I do think you're getting to a spot with Tyler O'Neill where I think you know what you've got. And, you know, what's it, three years now with Harrison Bader? I think you know what you've got there as well. Uh, lately, he's been performing better. Up until yesterday was a bit of a, we'll call it a, a, a dry day. Hiccup. Yeah, a hiccup um, for, for Harrison Bader. Lane Thomas, to me, is the only one that you really haven't seen. So if I'm management looking at this, I go, okay, I got Dylan Carlson that I just optioned back down to Springfield. I know what I have there. I know what I have in the future there. At least we think we do. Now I know what I have in Tyler O'Neill, which is a, you know, hot, cold, hot, cold kind of player. Good defensively, can really cover a lot of ground. He runs the bases tremendously well. Harrison Bader, almost the same scouting chart as Tyler O'Neill, just without the power. So I think you know what you have in two of those three guys. I think they might have three fourth outfielders. Like, I, I think that we're getting to that point, and that may be unfair to Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas has had almost no runway this year. Like I said, he's played in 12 games so far this year. Now, the results haven't been there, but it's 12 games. He's we, the one I'm willing to forgive a little bit right now because I feel like he deserves a few more. Absolutely. That's no where question. I'm at, too. I mean, I think you know exactly what O'Neill and Bader is. I think you're at the point now with Thomas is the only one that's still unknown for me. At this point, with Tyler O'Neill, he has in his career 400 plate appearances which is not a ton. It's not a ton, but his OPS has gone by year down from 800 to 723 to this year down to 625. Harrison Bader, almost a thousand career plate appearances at this point in his career, his OPS 659, 756, 680. And this year so far, like you said, it's been better 835. He is the guy that I'd be willing to give the benefit of the doubt to out of him and Tyler O'Neill, just because I think Bader brings more to the table. And I know that sounds strange to say because his, his bat has not been great at any point in his career, but it hasn't been significantly worse over the last couple of seasons than Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader is better defensively. He gives you basically what Tyler O'Neill does on the base paths. So if I'm going to have a fourth outfielder going into next year, I think Bader brings more to the table for me than Tyler O'Neill does. So ultimately you always want a five tool player, right? Well, Bader's not a five tool player. No. He's not, but he's the a two, two tool. The two Hang on a second. I get the remix. I'm going, doo, 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 doo. Uh, the tools that he does possess, though, they do help your team win mm-hmm. baseball games. And I've been watching him. I've been watching a lot of baseball lately. And I watch him cover the outfield. And there's not a pop-up or a fly ball or a line drive that I don't feel he can get to. I really think that he covers so much ground out there. And he's very talented defensively uh, anytime he hits the ball I feel like he has a chance of running it out at first base like he has a chance of beating it almost every time or he's close to it and then obviously if he, if he gets on base you can advance him rather easily with a base hit he's getting to third almost every single time so I agree with you I think Harrison Bader right now based on the body of work that we're looking at I think even though he lacks the consistency at bat I think he makes up for it with the other ones. Right now, he's the lesser of all of lesser of all evils when it comes to that center field. And spot. that's where I'm at too with Harrison Bader. I mean, you go around every team in Major League Baseball. There's not a team that has three 
dominant five tool outfielders. You have two guys and then one who's just there. The Atlanta Braves are a perfect example of this, who lead their division. You got Ronald Acuna Jr., you got Marcelo Zuna, their center fielder, Ender Inciarte, is batting 200 or less, I, I mean, think. He's right Harrison now. Bader. He's Harrison Bader. But you want that defensive. But Bader's better defensively. You want that defensive there. So I would be fine with Bader being my center fielder, but I need two guys on the corner that can play. And I don't think Thomas or O'Neill are that. Carlson is that. Fowler has been that. But neither of those two guys, meaning O'Neill or Thomas, can be those corner outfielders so you can keep Bader in the lineup. You got to find one of those two guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 636. O'Neill and Bader's speed are very similar. From the 314, O'Neill actually has a faster sprint speed than Bader. I understand. What I'm saying is that both of them give you similar qualities on the base paths. Mm-hmm. Like the, the difference in terms of the sprint seed, sp- speed that between the two is not significant enough to where that would help me determine the outcome of which one's going to be on my team. Yeah, you're splitting year. hairs there a little bit because even and, though O'Neill's sprint speed might be just a hair faster, we're splitting hairs, literally, because Harrison Bader's right there with him. And defensively, we've all watched him. Bader is the better defender. He oh, just O'Neal did a heck of a catch yesterday, though. He did. Unfortunately, there are other times where he takes the wrong route, and now he misjudged where the b- ball is going, and it goes over his head, and now it becomes a triple instead of a single. He never pulled a Nozuni yet, though. <laughs> no, he has not done that. <laughs> so we've got that going for us. I, I do think it's going to be really interesting going into the offseason, though. They've got a lot of questions that they still need to answer. I mean, you, you look at this, and as much as we're starting to get more answers, we still don't totally know and Carlson's going to be on the big league club next year he's going to be up with them you're going to have I I would expect Dexter Fowler in the outfield every day so now I I think you probably get to pick one of these three that you want to keep around for next season you think only one I think so because you're probably going to have to add another bat somewhere right whether it be at third base or in the outfield and if they do it at third base Edmund just now jumps out to the outfield. If you do in the outfield, well, you can't keep 17 outfielders on the active roster. And you still have, and I know people are going to give me stuff for this, but you still have Justin Williams, who they have high hopes for. So that's another claw. I know. Exactly. Ferrari's not letting that go. Rivers is thinking this. Ron Helravello. Hey, you stay away from Ravioli. Oh, I forgot. We've got Austin Dean as well. (laughs) I got Danny Mack on my side. He mentioned mentioned Austin Dean earlier today, but... uh, the bat in the outfield makes more sense in moving on from the players than third base because you have a lot of money tied up in Carpenter. And then Tommy Edmond is, of course, the better player of the two at third base. Yeah, I just I, I think that you're going to see going into next season, if they are making an addition, addition, and I think they need to, it's going to be a third or in the outfield. And that means either way, whether they do third or the outfield, you've got to ship some of these guys out. Yeah. And I think the filtering through is going to come at the cost, depending on what happens the rest of this year. Tyler O'Neill could turn this around. I think O'Neal's the guy that they're most likely to move on from just because uh, Lane Thomas, I think you can still option him down. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look more into that, but I think you can still option him down next year to triple a if need be. And Harrison Bader, I think brings more to the table in terms of being a fourth outfielder slash center fielder than what you're going to get next season out of Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that if they, if they do make a move next year, it's going to be for an outfield bat or if they're going to, try to pull something big together for a third baseman. I know we all dream of that happening right now, though. In the meantime, Tommy Hedman's doing really well. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed with him. His defense yesterday's game in the second of the doubleheader. I mean, that solidified for me. Carpenter doesn't need to be playing third base ever. Well, even with the bat, too. Like, I know he's not knocking the cover off, but 
Heck, he's he's contributing. Mm-hmm. Carpenter is going to continue to play as long as these guys in the outfield do not make the Cardinals take Carpenter out. Yeah, because right now Carpenter is as good at hitting better, frankly, than some of their options in the outfield. And until that changes, the Cardinals will keep putting him out there because he's got the contract. And so they can I I don't blame them, honestly, because why would you throw out Tyler O'Neill every day Mm -hmm. over Matt Carpenter? Why would you throw out every day Lane Thomas over Matt Carpenter? They've got to start hitting for them to be able to take him out. The problem is if Tommy Edmond hits better than all of your outfielders, he's an outfielder and you put Carpenter in. That's the that's the biggest problem right now. By the way, something to watch over the coming days and weeks. Brad Miller is struggling right now. In his last six games, he is two for 20 with six strikeouts and one walk. Just something to monitor. I think he got hit by a pitch, too. I'm not. He leaned into it for the team. I would. I'm not saying that this is something that we should be super concerned about, but it is the worst stretch that he's had since coming up with the court. Please talk trash about him. Yes, please. We want Millsy back, because and I want your hot take that that's it. The Millsy train is done. Ribsy's trying to hop back on the other side of the fence he now. Is. Please do it. Just go. I'll help you. I'm just saying <laughs> pay attention to that. It is something worth monitoring. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast. Podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'd like to get us started today in the junk drawer, boys. So, have you ever been to Australia? No. Not yet. Not. not yet. No. Well, almost. I almost played hockey there. But, I uh, certain, no. certainly. You almost played hockey there. Yeah, they have a pro yeah, league hockey? down there. And a guy called me at the end of my career wanting me to go play in Australia. I was like, that could be kind of fun. You chose Russia over Australia. Yeah, but it wasn't the same. Russia actually had. Australia is basically rack hockey. Okay. They, they pay for you to live there and you play there and it's basically a paid vacation. Gotcha. So you didn't decide to go out to go there after your Russia experience, though? No. My wife was like, listen, we're done. You're done. You're not even medically cleared to play anywhere. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Okay. So the reason why I bring up Australia is because right now I would highly recommend not having a wedding down there. Like we're planning our oh, wedding. So you guys scratched that one off the list. You're not Scratch going down on that? We decided against it. We will not specifically be going to Queensland in Australia. Now, here's why. Uh, According to this story from ABC, COVID-19 restrictions are prohibiting wedding guests from dancing. You are not allowed right now to go to a wedding in Queensland, Australia and dance at Hmm. that wedding. Meanwhile, again, this coming specifically from the story, if you decided to go to a sex club and swap partners with some people who we don't know who they're from or who they really are, that is, quote, okay. Well, then I know where you're having your wedding. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the problem here? You can have it at a strip club. Would you rather dance or would you rather... So down in Queensland, uh, they are coming under a little bit of fire. The government is because their restrictions are too specific with what they are deciding is and is not allowed. Now, this is happening all over the place. You have certain things that people are unhappy with decisions that are being made that they don't like. And down in Queensland right now, that decision is you can't go to weddings and dance, but they are looking at this other side of things. Hey, but. What about this thing over here where you're allowed to go to sex parties? That's allowed, but I can't go to a wedding and dance. I don't understand. It's therapy. Makes plenty of sense. It does? Yeah. 
In what way does that make sense? Rivers just said it. Therapy. Therapy. It's therapeutic. Yeah. How do you have a successful marriage? If you rank those two activities, okay, one is definitely more therapeutic than the other. Very true. You don't agree? Going so to a wedding is very therapeutic. Wait, imagine going to the uh, other place. The actual wedding is therapeutic. Say that I've been. Jamie, can you tell me a little bit about it? I can't say that I've been either, but one can imagine it's probably pretty yeah, therapeutic. We've, we've heard that that's yeah. yeah from sources, sources, inside sources. Okay. Speaking of weird places, okay, um, in Bangkok, uh, Thailand, there's a young gentleman who just went yeah, had to go to the bathroom. It's pronounced Thailand, Riv. Thailand, yes, okay. Anyways, he went in, 18-year-old, doesn't take a long pee, he said, so he sat down, which is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but anyways, all of a sudden, he felt a chomp on his penis. Oh, my God, don't. Don't do it. Oh, no. He did. This he was felt, not a snake. He felt the chomp. Tell me it's and not a snake. So here's what happened is moments after he sat down on the toilet, he says he suddenly felt tremendous pain as the non-venomous python oh, took a bite no. of his python. <laughs> That's kind of bragging on his part. But anyways, uh, not shockingly, uh, the young man jumped up and ran for his life with his pants around his ankles. And luckily, the snake let go. But it left a serious mess, and uh, he had to get three stitches on the tip region of that area. And, um, yeah, he said that from now on, he probably will not sit down to urinate and will probably take a look into the toilet before he goes. This this frightens the hell out of me. And I hate snakes, but I've been told because... Working in pest control, you hear stories, not in St. Louis, but you hear stories from other places. This is a thing. Snakes get into the plumbing no. and go up the pipes. I yeah. thought this was this was one of those things that your your mom no. tells you whenever you're young. No. You know, like if you swallow your gum, it takes seven years to get through or your digestive system to keep you yeah. from peeing yeah, yeah, on the yeah. floor. They want you to sit down and keep it in the toilet. Didn't hear that one. No, but I thought this no, was just like an it? urban myth that's kind of a new thing. To me too. Oh, okay. um, Sorry, me too. Look at however it's happening. I do know it does happen, and it is not a complete myth. Now it's certainly not as easy as one would think for the snake to get up in there. But what I know from you guys is, let's say you're sitting down. Let's say, hang on, you're sitting down. The snake is not present when you lift the seat. And then all of a sudden you're sitting down and you see it or you feel something moving around underneath you. Is your first reaction to get up quickly and try to get out of there? Or is it just to wait and see what's going on here yeah, so no. that you don't startle the <laughs> what snake? What kind of psychopath is going to wait and see Jamie, what happens? Jamie's what? about to tell us Jamie, that's like, what uh, he's going to do. Otherwise, there's no reason to even ask the question. Jamie, this isn't a bear. You can't play dead and it goes away. I'm not. I'm hoping that my python would intimidate no, him. No. You're dangling. You're, dangle, <laughs> you're dangling food in front of its Again, face. you talked about him having a humble brag. That is, <laughs> that's not even humble. <laughs> I do think, one thing about snakes, though, too, is they react quickly, right? And sometimes they bite without thinking. So if you got up quickly and that thing shot out and bit you, I think if you just sat there for a second and kind of just evaluated what's going on, no. yeah. I think you'd be Wait okay. Wait a little longer to see yeah. if he decides to do something. Getting nope. goosebumps just you saying that. Wait a little longer and see what happens. 
I don't know. There was a viral video a couple months ago of somebody driving, and the snake had crawled into the car panel. It's a snake's car now. And what? Yeah. <laughs> what? He's driving on the highway, and the snake sticks its head out of like underneath the steering wheel and is crawling oh, yeah. on his leg. This Time dude. To barrel roll. This <laughs> dude drove for like four minutes with this snake just wrapping itself around his leg, and then stopped and calmly got out of the car. Yeah. I would crash the car and hope I blow it up into flames so that the snake goes down with me. I'm telling you, that is the snake's car now. Yeah. I'm opening the door, full <laughs> barrel roll down the side of the road. Yeah, we're all going down. We'll figure it out from there. I don't know where the car is going. I don't know what the snake is doing with it, but I will not be a part of that massacre. Snakes don't bother me. They don't bother me. The reptiles don't bother me. Uh, although I do, I will have to say that if it was latched onto the tip of my python, that would bother me. So I wanted to bring up one final thing here in the junk drawer today because it's a sad day, guys. It's a very sad day. For a lot of people, the number one show that they watch is no longer. Keeping up with the Kardashians is over. 14 years, what is that? 20 what seasons, is that? <laughs> keeping up with the Kardashians is officially next. It is coming to an end. They are done. There have been seemingly dozens of spinoffs. In fact, it is only 12 spinoffs, though, that they have included from this. 14 years, 20 seasons, keeping up with the Kardashians is officially coming to an end. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 They have made an empire with yes. that, okay? Not just the, the group. Each individual in that family has made an empire for themselves based upon keeping up with the Kardashians. So it, the vehicle was the, the, the show itself, the reality series, and they have done wondrous things with it. Not always great things that we want to read about and hear about and this and that and the other, but at the end of the day, they've turned a, a, a TV show into family businesses. And read about and hear about and this and that and the other, but at the end of the day, they've turned a, a, a TV show into family businesses, is in plural. 265 or 256 episodes. 256 episodes. That's absurd. How many have you watched? Uh, not, not a single one. I haven't seen one. I think I've seen half of one. And yet it is unbelievably, was unbelievably successful. Yeah, who watches this? A lot know. of people, man. A I think some of, of the younger kids, this. maybe. I don't know what I'd like the demographic is. to see a state is. by state, because I wonder if like they survive off of the state of California. It's right. incredible. Could what, be. what they were able to accomplish from this show is unbelievable. And so full credit to them, but it is officially coming to an end. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. St. Louis, Louis County Youth Sports are headed in a direction that is not exactly great for some of the younger kids in our lives. What is this going to mean? And I've got one question in particular that I do think probably needs to be answered. We'll ask that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. So there was some news this morning that we need to pass along. Sam Page, the executive director for St. Louis County, announced some new guidelines for youth sports that are going to take place in St. Louis County starting on Friday. So on September 11th, high-frequency contact sports for those over the age of 14. This includes basketball, lacrosse, wrestling, rugby, and football in particular. Well, hockey's going to be okay to go then. They will face more restrictions. The restrictions include 
no competitions, and a maximum of 30 athletes allowed at practices. According to Sam Page, the positive test rate between those ages 14 and 19 is near 20% for COVID-19, whereas all other age groups, the rate is near 6%. For high school athletics, Page is recommending that fall sports be moved to the spring. So this is the news earlier today, this report coming from KMOV, but he held a press conference on it as well. We are hoping to have Sam Page on the show at some point over the next day or two. We'll see if he's able to come on with us. But I wanted to talk about this because we have talked frequently, Jamie, about some of this stuff. And we talked recently with Sam Page about the last restrictions that he put in place in St. Louis County. And I, I think my big question is this. And it's the same question that I asked of the Big Ten. So this is not a new question that I'm asking specifically to St. Louis County. But if you're able to practice, why are we restricting the game format? And I understand some of that is travel, right? They, they don't want people going from like one area of St. Louis to another. And then there becomes community distribution and all those different things. But if that is taking place, then you would imagine that it would already be taking place amongst that team as well. So if we're able to continue practicing and you have 30 kids practicing at a time, the one thing that these kids are playing for is the games. That's what they're practicing for, you would imagine. Why are we eliminating that game? And that's the only thing we're really taking away here. I don't totally understand that. Maybe there is a clear and obvious explanation, and I would love to hear it if there is, but that's my big question that I have about this. Okay, so being involved in youth sports here locally in St. Louis, uh, obviously hockey, and uh, I've been to... A number of these meetings and talk to a number of the people who uh, are making some of these decisions and we don't see eye to eye on it I don't think it's any secret last time we had Sam Page on I don't feel like we were on the same page with some of this um, but that being said I will say this we're, we're what happens and what they've told me BK is when you have your own team practicing if you have someone who tests positive for COVID you can kind of contain it to that one team, that one school, that one, maybe even that one little area of the position for that football team or hockey team, whatever you're doing. When you play the games in physical contact, now you're bringing two large entities together. And then if there is a spread of the virus at that point, now it's growing tentacles in a lot of different directions, going back to the schools that they represent and could get a lot worse. So I think that that's their their idea of it is to eliminate the chance of one school um, infecting another school and then both schools infecting a lot of just students who maybe are not student athletes that now are uh, basically become casualties of COVID because of a football game that happened. So I get it. Um, The gatherings, they don't like either. That I totally understand. If you don't want people gathering for these games, I get it. And if you wanted to eliminate that off the front, I I got no issue with that. Because that was the last thing that we talked about with Sam Page, right? He said the issue was not the players actually participating in the sport. It was the gatherings that would take place during and after the meeting or the game taking place. That was the issue. That's where the spread was coming from, according to Sam Page in our last interview with him. Well, and here's where the bigger question for me comes in the numbers of this, okay? And I'm not going to dive into some big medical thing or political stance or whatever, but if the numbers truly do support it, then great. But I can't find those numbers. Not for those age brackets. Not 14 to 19. Tell you what, you can find those numbers easily for 19 to 29. And that's an that's an age bracket that has been blowing up. Uh, as we know, the colleges around the United States are, are having a difficult time containing the COVID uh, pandemic right now. 
But uh, yeah, listen, I, I just think that the funny part of it is, is you can also take your team and go play in St. Charles. So I guess my, my, my conflict internally is if things are so bad, how is the whole city or state or even country, I know they get, we're getting really out there, but they should be on the same page for this one. Now, how do you have St. Louis City to where a kid can not play football because of the bridge, right? He's not even, he's right in front of Chesterfield. You go out there, you can play, you're not allowed to play football, but cross that bridge and go to Howell High School. It's in St. Charles. Yeah. They got football going on. How does that make sense? It doesn't. It does. And That's this, what I'm this saying. This is a larger issue for this area as a whole, right? And we could get into that at, at a different time, but the, these are all issues that. Uh, are bigger than this one decision, certainly, but that's part of the problem with this decision. It's, it's It can be difficult to manage. Okay, so do these teams now just go up somewhere else and play? Do they do they go elsewhere and play? Well, they get neutral site, field somewhere, and they, ha- they run their season there. They take a couple of weekends and play each other. And at the end of the day, the kids that the kids are the ones that are are hit by this, right? And they they just want to play. And I get that completely. And I also understand the health side of this. I really do. Like, if this is what needs to take place for us to get back to a sense of normalcy, then listen, I'll, I'll listen to any explanation as long as there there's data and science behind it, and it's it's very obvious that this was a decision that needed to be made. I get that. I just I, I guess I am still a little bit um, questioning. Why? Why we are still having practices? If if this if this is this big of an issue, yeah. um, I, I feel like then the practices should probably be shut down as well. And the schools. Let's be honest. If that's the case, if you're targeting, um, you know, what however many kids are on a high school football team, but then expand that into the school. How many, some of the big high schools in town? I guess I feel like if you're going to take a stance on something, if you're going to shut down a certain area. You can just shut it all down yeah. because that's the only way to truly make sure it's not going to happen. But if you don't shut it all down, to which there's a lot of areas in St. Louis that are doing very well with this, and the high schools are doing very well, and, and I hope it stays that way. But if you're not going to shut it down, then let them play. Let it, you know, let it be done, and at least then you know you get the one game a week, kind of like the NFL. And if there's some kid who tests positive, at least you know, hey. Here's what we have, and now we're going to have to find out if kids need to go get tested or we need to quarantine our team, our entire team, for you know 10 to 11 days. So my, my question would then become, what happens then with these city teams if they have success with the seasons and they're able to play? I think the city's already been shut down, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I'll have to, so they've been shut I'll down, too, because I thought I'm, that they were different. I'm pretty sure the city has already been told you, you can't play. I know football, for instance, like they're not playing yeah. right football now. Football right now is a no-go in the city. Um, I can't speak to the other sports. I, I don't know. The yeah. hockey has not started yet. Oh, hockey hasn't been gone. But hockey, high school hockey, starting for my boys. They got <laughs> practice tomorrow night, and there's a tournament on the weekend. Guess where it is? St. Charles. Well, and I've seen soccer. <laughs> well, that's going the other thing. Is a lot of this, it's just going to directly impact the kids that play high school sports. And so a lot of sports, like I, I was a football player in high school, not a good one, but a football player nonetheless, there was no club football. Like you, you just played for the high school. That was right. where you got your exposure. Meanwhile, for, for basketball, uh, for players that played uh, softball, baseball, volleyball, Hockey, certainly this is included in that as well. Those were all like club sports. Like you played for the high school, but your real exposure, the games that you cared about more a lot of the times were with AAU for basketball or for baseball. They were with your travel team. And those were the competitive teams that people played on. So those 
teams are not run by the schools, and therefore they're just going to go elsewhere where they can continue playing the games. Yep. The sport that is really hurt by this is really football. And those are the kids that th- there is no other option. There is no alternative. You can't just go out and play for the club team that right. plays in St. Louis and can rent a field because those teams don't really exist in high school for the most part. That I, I feel horrible for those kids more than anything. Well, especially like the senior kids yes. or even some of the younger kids. Maybe the sophomore who finally made the varsity team. and Just that excitement, know? though, of, of starting the school year and trying out for the team and putting all of that work in in the offseason and in the summer and the heat. And then you have that excitement and then it's just taken away from you to where you feel like a lot of those kids are thinking, I can be responsible with this. This is my opportunity to be responsible and take a shot. And then just to have it taken away without any opportunity to make the case for it, it just seems unfair. Well, look, where my boys go to high school, they're having a football game this Mm -hmm. weekend on Friday night. And they sent out the rules to every parent. An email came out to every parent on how it's going to be. There is going to be allowed people allowed in the stands to re- immediate family only. Uh, to my knowledge, they have areas that are taped off, and you can only sit on one of the taped axes, which is six feet apart. And masks are mandatory. And the, the sideline guys have to wear masks the entire time, except for once they get onto the field, they can remove their mask to play in the game. Yeah. So. I think they're trying to yeah. make it work, and uh, they do a fantastic job of putting these policies in place in order to keep these kids playing. So I think that I just, I'm always a believer in just shutting something down is not always the answer. Yeah, I, I think there's got to be other ways to do this, and maybe that's what they're doing right now is taking this as a reset, and we'll see what happens in the coming days and weeks, and hopefully not months, but potentially months. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens from there, but a disappointing day, I know, for a lot of people around this area and for any of you in our listening audience that have kids um, that are having to deal with this now and are trying to figure out what the next step is. I, I'd love to hear your story. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, to get involved in the show. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with the Cardinals bet it or forget it. Continuing our conversation from earlier today. Bet it or forget it, Jamie. Only one of the Cardinals' current three outfielders will be a starter for the Cardinals next year. So I'm talking about Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas. Only one of them will be a starter for the Cardinals going into next year. Bet it or forget it. Bet it. I bet it. I think uh, Sexy Dexy will be back out in right field. I think that Dylan Carlson will get ample playing time. I do think, to your point earlier and what we discussed, I think Harrison Bader will get the runway to do his thing. And I think Tyler O'Neill will be the uh, fourth outfielder out there. First of all, great use of the word ample. Word of the day, if I may. Ample. Ample. Thank you. Uh, I'm betting it. An ample bet on this one. I don't know if that applies here, no, but I'm going to make it. It, it doesn't, doesn't work here. I like to try. Okay, win in Rome. Yeah, I'm betting this one. Your, your, your outfield next year starting is going to be Fowler, Bader, Carlson. And I think it's going to be Lane Thomas is going to be your fourth outfielder. I think they're going to move on from Tyler O'Neill. He has the power, which makes him desirable on a trade market like Randall Gritchick was. Not going to get a lot for him, but I think you could get something from him to add to your depth and then stick with Elaine Thomas as your fourth outfielder. But it's going to be Fowler, Carlson, Bader next year. I'm betting it as well. 
And I don't know if it's going to be that specific outfield construction, but I think they're going to add somebody in the offseason. And that somebody is going to come George at Springer. either third base. Jerry? George Springer. Third base. DH or in the outfield and any of those additions affects who you're going to be able to start in the outfield and it means that at least one probably two of these guys will either be on the bench or shipped off elsewhere and I do agree with you Ferrario I think Tyler O'Neill, based on what we've seen so far this year I don't expect is going to have a significant role with the Cardinals in 2021. Only one mistake, BK, is they don't need a DH because Millsy was your DH. There's not even a DH yet. That, that is a fair point. What's wrong with you guys? I think Austin they're going to be able to. What about Austin Dean? 65780 is the air cover service tax line. <laughs> for bet it or forget it. <laughs> bet it or forget it, boys. Carlos Martinez will make one start in the postseason for the Cardinals. One or more starts in the postseason for the Cardinals for Carlos Martinez. Better to forget it, Jamie. Forget it. I, I don't think so. I, I don't believe in him as a starter right now. Um, I look at it. Maybe he'll get another start or two coming down to the final games of the regular season. But after that, if everyone is healthy and you've got Flaherty, Wayno, Hudson, and KK ready to go, I don't think you need that fifth guy. I think you come back and you just rotate those four. And I do see Martinez, though, being a big part of it somewhere in the bullpen, whether it's the two innings that you need to get to the closer or whether it's the closer in general where he comes in and, and you know takes out the last three batters of the other team. But I don't see him in the rotation. Yeah, I'm going to bet it as well. I... I Oh, I'm forgetting it. Oh, jeez. I'm turning into Rivers here. I'm forgetting it here. Are we sure? Your three are set up in KK, Wayno, and Flaherty. And Hudson would be the one I'm going to before I'm going to Carlos Martinez as that fourth guy. I mean, Hudson's a ground ball guy. He can get the strikeouts. He gives you innings, which Carlos really just can't do any of those things right now. I still have faith that he can turn it around as a starter because the COVID kind of knocked him out of this. But I see him as a bullpen weapon once you get into the postseason. And Dakota would be that fourth guy. So I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it as well. I'm not as 100% sure of it as you guys seem to be. Because I, I do think they want Carlos to be a starter. I think they there's a reason why they've given him every opportunity. It's because they see the upside and what yeah, it can he tells be. He won't pitch anywhere else. Fair, fair point. <laughs> I I think they see what his upside looks like. They've seen it before in their rotation, and so if he ends up getting to those levels again, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if he were to, I think that he would start in the playoffs. I just don't. I don't think he's going to be able to get there, guys. We need to start disagreeing with each other. That's too clean. I know. That's right? too clean sweeps. On? This isn't working. Six we'll five up the game. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. <laughs> A little bit of news coming out from the Bengals. Joe Burrow has officially been named one of the team's captains going into this season. Pretty big news for a rookie quarterback to be named a captain that quickly. No pressure. MVP. Go to a team that sucks and Bat- they're not going to protect you, and now you're the captain. Better to forget <laughs> it. By the end of the season, we will be looking at Joe Burrow as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Jamie, better to forget uh, it. Top 10 quarterback by the end of the season for Joe Burrow. I'm forgetting it. I just don't think he has enough around him there to help him. You know, potentially, and his talent alone, yeah, it could probably get him there. But I'll be shocked, man, if he's able to have any kind of a real impact on that team. I don't see that. 
I don't see that team being able to help Joe Burrow at all. And I, I know he's the quarterback, but I don't see anybody helping him by being great at a re- being a receiver or running back with an offensive line. I think he's in for a little shock to the system in his first NFL season in particular because they don't even have a preseason game. He doesn't even have, doesn't even have the ability to take a real snap until regular season starts. I'm going to bet it. I think a top 10 quarterback, I mean... Top 10, think about that. Go, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to sit here and go through top 10. You got Mahomes, Jackson, Rodgers, Breeze. Like, I can think of five. Wilson, Watson, Brady. six. Murray, Dak. Brady. Brady, Wentz. There's a lot of... So I, I think I he's better than together, Wentz. I think he'll be better than Wentz. I think he's better than Wentz, too. Interesting. I think, he could, sure I think, I I think he could be better than Pre- Prescott, also. They got Trubisky. <laughs> So I put together what He's I think. Third. <laughs> I think there's a clear top four. There's like a a, a, br- a tier break after the top four. Mahomes, Wilson, Watson, Lamar. I think those are the clear cut right now top four quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. All young, all give you everything that you could possibly want from a quarterback right now. Okay. Then for my next three, I've got Wince, Murray, and Dak. Not in that order, but those three guys I would have there. And then you kind of get into the older ones. You've got Drew Brees. You've got Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. And that right around there is, I think... Probably after that group, where I would probably see Joe Burrow fitting in after this season. I think he, I think he's going to be better than I Wentz. don't think so, guys. I'm telling you, that team is not going to be able to give him time, and that he's going to be learning on the fly, and that's a difficult thing to do as a quarterback. It just depends if his weapons stay healthy. If he can have a healthy AJ Green, a healthy Tyler Boyd, and a healthy Joe Mixon all season, I mean, those are three weapons that Joe Burrow's can have a lot of fun with in a Cincinnati Bengals offense. It's just a matter of people stay healthy for him. Yeah. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better or forget it. Final one for you guys today. Kareem Hunt yesterday signed a two-year extension with the Browns worth $13 million. They've got a whole lot of weapons on that team right now. Jamie, better or forget it. The Cleveland Browns will make good on the hype that they had going into last year and will be a playoff team in the AFC in 2020. Yeah, I'm going to forget it. <laughs> I'm going to really forget it, actually. You're um, a factory of sadness! I am right now when it comes to the Browns. And uh, look, Baker Mayfield, um, I'm still not convinced. To me, he's still got question marks surrounding, well, every aspect of his game. Um, And last year was not a great year for OBJ. Um, And he's got a lot of crap going on right now. Huh. Yeah, so I don't see the Cleveland Browns being able to uh, pull it together. It's it's stuff he likes. He's got to keep himself clean. I, uh, (laughs) that's that's hard. I'm going to bet it. I think I think last year everyone was talking about the Cleveland Browns and they were overhyped because everyone was expecting them to be great and they fell apart. I, I I feel like going into this year people aren't talking about them and I think they might be underestimating what Cleveland can do. I'm expecting a, a a better season from OBJ and when you think of the weapons with Jarvis Landry, um, Baker Mayfield's the he's the dark horse in this. Can he be a good quarterback? Can he be a bad quarterback? Because he's got the weapons. Two years ago he set the all time record for rookie. Quarterback. Quarterbacks and touchdown passes in a single season. Yeah. That did happen. It, it it took place, and it's how they ended up with the dunce of a coach that they hired a year ago. Right. Their defense is good too, man. They've got some really good players on that side of the ball. So I just went through Chiefs, Ravens, somebody from the AFC South has to win it, and the Bills, and then you've got the Patriots. I think we're all in on them, and the Steelers. That's six. There's seven teams that make the postseason this year. 
So basically, whoever you don't have making the playoffs from the AFC South and the Browns. Those are probably the contenders for that spot now that Von Miller just went down for the season. I don't think the Broncos are going to fit into this mix. I, I think they've got a real shot. It's, it's going to come down to me between the Texans, the Titans, and the Browns. One of those three is going to make it. To me, it comes down to whether OBJ can keep his crap together or not. That's a corny of joke, man. Too corny. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 618. Better to forget it. Jamie Rivers is the captain of this show. Let's be honest here, guys. There's a reason it's Ferrari called Rivers. Oh, sorry. There's a reason it's called Rivers and BK. <laughs> His name comes first for a reason. You all know and like Jamie Rivers. I just happen to be along for the ride. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, <laughs> a guy that we all like and know. He's the voice of the Blues. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the Blues. He's Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, how you doing today, man? Brandon, doing well today. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So we talked yesterday. We had the great pleasure of talking with Catherine Tappen. And Jamie asked what I thought was a really good question about two goalies and how many teams we are seeing in the postseason having success, at least in part because they have multiple goalies to turn to. I'm curious, now that we have seen that the Blues have made the decision to trade Jake Allen uh, to Montreal and next year they're going to go with it, it, it appears, Ville Husso, how much pressure is there on Husso, in your opinion, to be able to be somebody that the Blues can count on if needed whenever they get to the postseason next year? Yeah, I think Billy Husso is going to have to prove that, that he can carry the load as the backup or if something were to happen to Bennington, uh, even as the starter for a while. Uh, he, he's been pretty good down in the American Hockey League, you know, and, 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 and talking to some folks about the job he was doing down there, and it, it wasn't a very good team all around down in the American Hockey League this year. There, there just wasn't wasn't really kind of a smooth, there wasn't a lot of great team flow to it. And uh, and I think that that makes it really hard. So I, I wouldn't suggest studying the numbers of Billy Husso down in the American League because, frankly, when you talk to goaltenders, when they make the jump, some will tell you that it could be easier to play up here just because of it's fewer mistakes. It's just quicker puck movement and, and more skill. So uh, a guy that has, has worked on his footwork really well, uh, a guy that has to get better at playing the puck, you know, and, and a couple of aspects like that. But having said that, he's spent his time down in the minors having four years. It's time for him to make the jump. And I think that there is pressure on him to be that guy. I would actually add this to it. I think there's pressure on the team in general just to get off to a good start and playing in front of him. I think if Billy Huso can get in, and in those first few games that he plays when he is spelling Jordan Bennington, if there is some good results, I don't think you can ever underestimate the power of positive reinforcement and him finding some success very early on in that role. Curbs, I want to dive into the last four teams right now in the Stanley Cup Finals. And as I look at each of these four teams, they all have a little St. Louis flavor attached to them. In, in Tampa, we've got Pat Maroon. With Dallas, we've got Ben Bishop, Scotty Mayfield with the Islanders, Paul Stasny with Vegas. And if we dive a little deeper, we've got Ryan Reeves with Vegas, who's not born in St. Louis, but certainly everybody knows him here. Getting back to 
the, the roots of this to the St. Louis youth hockey, and now we know the heartland of hockey here in St. Louis. How exciting is that for the St. Louis Blues to know that this city is producing some really good players and we're seeing more and more of them all the time? Yeah, and you've got your hand on, on a lot of them, Jamie, with, with you know the, the development of youth hockey players and how they're going with your synergy program. Right? It, it's, it's so important, it's, and it, it's neat to be able to follow. I, I think it only carries a certain amount of weight you know, as guys are going up. But what you'll see, and, and you see that with the Blues alumni now, it's the effort that they put back into the sport when their playing careers are done, if they're still around in the area. And that's where we've seen the development. I mean, look, when you go back a few drafts to where we had four or five uh, first-rounders, you know, taken out of the city of St. Louis, they had all played for Jeff Brown. I mean, that. so to me, the more you get, the more uh, life that you're going to see in youth hockey here because those guys are going to be coming back. Uh, I think it's important that we continue to talk about them. I'm, I'm so happy to hear Scott Mayfield's name come up more and more because in a lot of ways he was almost the forgotten one. You know, with, with, with the you know, St. Louisans that have uh, gone out to play in the National Hockey League. You know, but if you've got a young defenseman right now that wants to play and you want to say, look, he's from here and here's where he played. There's a defenseman, there's a forward, there's a goaltender, you know, and, and they're all out there. So I, I think it's awesome, and, and I think we have to continue to play that up just for the fact that I think it adds a lot of legitimacy to the hard work that you, uh, the other alumni, and listen, we talk a lot about the alumni. Man, a lot of the other moms and dads and parents that are coaching and stuff that are making it successful, too. It's, it's, it's a fantastic story uh, that, that I think we need to make sure people stay aware of. So, Curbs, you bringing up the alumni that are staying here in St. Louis brings me back to uh, what was our big story yesterday on the show, and we've continued talking about it today as well. And, of course, I'm referring to Lou Brock and the passing of a St. Louis legend, a St. Louis Cardinals uh, legend. You have you are a St. Louis and through and through, Curbs. You've come in contact with men like Lou Brock, and y- you know how gentle and kind that man was. I'd be curious, what, what were your thoughts after hearing of the past of Lou Brock and what's what it's going to be your lasting memory of uh, a tremendous human being and obviously an incredible baseball player here in St. Louis as well. Well, I think one of the lasting memories for me, Brandon, is the fact just uh, how hard he fought and yet how positive of an individual he remained as his health really started to take over uh, his life over the last few years from, you know, the battling cancer and then losing his leg and things along those kind of lines. And he was always still just an extremely positive bright figure and i think there's a lesson to be learned by all of us i i told this story yesterday uh or monday i, I know it would have been yesterday to to michelle you know on, on the early show but you know, lou brock officiated my my sister's wedding and uh so jesse and tim and uh, i did not know that he was going to do it and they had their rehearsal dinner uh, at the muni in one of the kind of the side rooms backstage at the muni where i, I worked as an usher and other family members have worked over the years and it was pretty cool. And at one point, I look around, and honest to God, sitting right there is Lou Brock and his wife, Jackie. And I went, looked at my dad, and I said, what's Lou doing here? Now, uh, now Jesse's husband is, is Fred Bird. All right, so there's the Cardinal connection there. Whoa, 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 but easy there. At that, yeah, at, at that <laughs> point, I did not know. That nobody had told me that Lou Brock was officiating the wedding. I said, well, what's Mr. Brock doing here? And dad says, well, he's doing the wedding tomorrow. I said, are you kidding me? So Tim's a pretty funny guy, as you could imagine. And uh, while the next night, while you know Lou Brock is 
officiating the wedding and saying, hey, do, you know, uh, you know, Tim, repeat after me. As soon as he says, Tim, repeat after me, there was a hum in the microphone. So Tim leans into the microphone and goes, mm, and everybody kind of chuckled. Well, it happened a second time, to which point Lou said, okay, Tim, that's enough. And I'm like, when Lou Brock says, okay, that's mm. enough, then it's time to get serious because he wants you to get through your wedding vows. But just it's a, it's a funny story to have seen take place and a real neat story for Tim and Jesse to have that link to him forever. And, they, you know, it's I, I love the fact that you guys did what you did yesterday, that everybody's done what they've done yesterday over the last couple of days. Because when you have somebody that was as impactful on people's lives away from the field, as he was entertaining on it. I think that's a legacy we could all just hope for. Absolutely, Curbs. And I think that's, I've been saying this over the last couple of days, but that's what stood out to me the most is just the number of people that have a story of Lou Brock with Lou Brock and the fact that most of them don't seem to center around baseball, which is maybe the most incredible part of all of this is he was not just a, what is, a Hall of Fame level player, but then he ended up having just this unbelievable life both after and during as well away from the field. And I think that's probably what a lot of people seem to remember him most for, which is awesome for him as well. Curbs, we well, you, pre- have to, you have to keep in mind too that, you know, when it comes to somebody like him, and, and I think Bobby Plager uh, is going to fit this bill, not not is going to, does fit the bill uh, that way. In, in some ways, I think Jim Hannafin does. Um, Dan Deardorff, so, some of these other great storytellers of the game and, and great ambassadors of their sport and their time in St. Louis. Well, one of the things that, that is, is about them is right now, you know, the only way people really know of them is through the stories that people tell. You know, I mean, you're talking almost 50 years since Lou Brock retired, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, it, it, and, and their presence and their willingness to be a part of the community, their, the franchise's willingness to continue to use them is so important. That's why it was awesome to see everybody as thrilled for Bobby Plager when he lifted that Stanley Cup for the first time as they were any player. I, that, that, I, I, it's such a cool aspect of sports in this city, and I hope it stays here forever. Curbs, we appreciate the time, man. We look forward to talking with you each and every week. We'll talk with you again next week, okay? All right, boys. Have a great day. Have a great day. Talk to you next week. You too. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Did I just hear in the last segment that Chris Kerber's brother-in-law is Fred Bird? Did he just reveal that? He just ruined it for everyone. There's multiple Fred Birds. Wait, what? Now you're just going to tell me Louie's not a bear, huh? No, he's a bear. You tell me there's multiple. There are (laughs) other people that are Fred Bird. I think so. I met a Fred Bird once. Not Fredbird, the Fredbird in the Fredbird. I met Fredbird. Yeah. Not too long ago. He was at the uh He's been busy at the Cardinals camps. games lately. Did you guys have a good conversation? <laughs> With Fredbird. <laughs> he thought Salter, that was hilarious. Can't Salter tell. Likes that one Jamie. Too. Jamie. <laughs> he liked it. He that, can't talk. That I was, can't I don't even know where to go after that. That was a that was a good dad joke. You did though, like Stultz. that though. Like you even gave it like the table slap. Stoltz, that was a great dad joke. <laughs> he even leaned back and was like yeah. admiring his own work. <laughs> that was like a knee slapper for you, huh? Goodness gracious. That was, like one off, that was like one off the tee that you admire and then it just starts hooking. And then hooks into the branches and, <laughs> and you wait. watch it drop into the water. <laughs> wait a second. You give it that cocky step back. You're like, Yeah, yeah. got all the oh god. Oh, oh, boy. oh four? And it's ten. Uh-huh. So, Stoltz, I got to take advantage of the fact that we've got a football guy in studio because football season officially begins tomorrow. Jamie. Yeah, Jamie's here. 
Right. Yep. So football season officially starts tomorrow night, and you know I'm excited because you know they're kicking things off with the Super Bowl champions, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> betting wise, I know yeah. you're the betting guy. Is this going to be a difficult season for betting because there is no home field advantage, because travel could be impacted by the way that things are going, because we haven't seen any of these teams in preseason? How, how difficult is it going to be to bet oh, on these teams? It, it, listen, it's always difficult because the odds makers are incredible at what they do, and they're ahead of everything. But one angle that I, that I find really intriguing is if a team has a brand-new head coach, new coordinators, or uh, a ton of turnover at key positions, i.e. the Patriots. We know that Belichick and McDaniels are back, but how's the offense going to look with Cam Newton? And you don't have all of your returning starters on defense. So that one's kind of intriguing to me. But we've seen a little bit in college football thus far that when a team has a brand new coach or new coordinators or Navy the other night, they got crushed. Who a didn't new quarterback. tackling, apparently. Right. Why do you even try common nature? You don't have to practice. Go reps, preparation. Coach. I mean, football is not like any other sport in that, yes, there's a system and a structure in hockey, but I, I don't feel it's as in depth as offense and defensive playbooks, right? Baseball, same deal. Basketball, same deal. You can win on talent and if your guys are in shape, at least for a little while. But for football, I mean, if you, if you haven't been preparing, you, di- you didn't have the normal practice reps, you didn't have the normal film time for four months leading into the season, you're at a distinct disadvantage. So teams like Cincinnati, who was going to struggle anyways, brand new quarterback, your Bengals. He's not a fan of the Bengals this year. Good band. He hates them. He says it'll be terrible. I think they'll probably be pretty bad. I feel bad for Joe Burrow. I mean, this is is a situation where you have a rookie quarterback making that big leap, and he didn't have a full offseason. How are you going to look in September? See, I think he's going to look better than we expect. Really? Yeah. So the last time that we saw something like this, even resembling this, was the lockout. And it's not the same, of course, not the same. But that year, Cam Newton was a rookie, and he ended up coming in, and it was one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback, in part because Cam Newton was incredible, right? Joe Burrow, to me, feels like one of the most pro-ready quarterbacks we've seen in recent years. And everything that we've heard coming out of camp, and I know there's there's limited stuff that they can do at camp, and there's limited reporting that is going on at camps, but it sounds like he's looked really good so far. I actually think he's going to come out and he's going to be good right away. I think they're going to beat the Chargers in week one, for instance. You know, Stoltz, if you're really going to play some bets, you can always go to FanDuel, Paradise Sportsbook. There you Use the promo code BRANDON. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Make sure you put that in there for you. We're using the... Promo code WXOS1. No, that's way harder. Uh, it doesn't work. Brandon is easier. <laughs> WXOS1. I'm so excited for Daily Fantasy to be back. I am so excited for Daily Fantasy. I saw back. the email. Yeah. Yeah, you what guys, was that? Are you guys, about? Are you guys, play, are you guys no, playing? I'm not playing no, fantasy. No, Riz doesn't football. know how to sign up. I got emails, and the way it stacks them, I got Kylie sending out a mass email. It's like spam all through my email system. He's talking about fantasy football. Like, what were you even doing awake at that time? <laughs> I mean, it was like He's midnight. up late. Yeah. No, I mean, it's email. I have to prepare Ding. our show, Jamie. I'm like, Somebody's I'm, got to do it. I'm putting together oh. our show, getting all the material ready, and he's worried about yeah. fantasy football. How did we fling that both ways there? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so what's coming up on the fest lane today, man? We have a riveting show today. BT's back. Oh, oh yeah. hey. And he's going to do a full show. The full show. Four hours. Do I have the Oh, yeah. Don't see. Yeah, that's, no, that's no, our. No, 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 we save that for your off today, game. guys. Oh, they have uh, an off day today? How'd they get an off day? Yeah. 
Usually yeah, you usually haven't heard that in my headers, updates. But they got an off day. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, really. Fastlane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. No Jamie Rivers. Alex Ferrario in with me. Jamie will be back on Friday. Then Ferrario's out. I'm playing musical chairs with my co-host. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11. Until then, Fastlane coming up next. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.